Welcome back to a new episode of Engage, a podcast from the CIPR. This is the second episode in the series celebrating the CIPR's 75th anniversary, with today's conversation focusing on the rise of brands. It's an absolute pleasure to be here as your host. I'm Rebecca Jabbar, a media trainer and founder of the brand Champion Bootcamp. And I have been really looking forward to this discussion we're about to have today because I think there's an element of uncertainty around the concept of brand, what it entails, who should own it, and how should it best be presented to and understood by all stakeholders, be they internal or external. Joining me to discuss all this and more are Alex, Sabrina and Steve, but I'm not going to introduce them. Let me hand over to Alex. Please introduce yourself today. Hi, I'm Alex. I'm um, the brand manager at Canal and River Trust at the moment, so heading up the brand and content teams. Well, welcome, Alex. Steve? Hi there, I'm uh, Steve Chelliotis. I'm Global Brand Insights Director for Gravity Global. I'm also chairman of the Super Brands and Cool Brands Councils in the UK, and generally a massive brand geek. So this topic is right up my street. <laughs> and we're definitely going to come back to you about everything to do with the Super Brands Council, because I think it's the sexiest council that we need to be focused on today with our brand chat. And Sabrina. Hi, I'm Sabrina, and I'm the Global Brand and Talent Engagement Lead at Mimecast. Amazing. Thank you. So welcome, all of you. I'd like to kick off with asking each of you to define brand. So I'm going to set you the challenge of summarising your view of the concept of brand in a, in a simple sentence, if possible. So Sabrina, could you kick us off? Yes. So in my view, brand is uh, a reputation and the proposition and the experience of an organisation with a given set of audiences. So you're looking at it as the organisation itself. So it's not necessarily the visual identity. It's it's actually even more than that. It's, it's bigger than that for you. Yes, absolutely. I mean, the visual elements is essential in communicating what those component par parts are. But I think without really understanding what you stand for, what your purpose is, what your offering is to different audiences obviously my space is the employer space so you've got different types of customers but you've also got your employees who are so essential in delivering whatever it is that your organization does and it, also the experiences within that so again your customer experiences your employee experiences because in my view brand is something that you should feel you should experience so those values those benefits um, for them to be authentic and for you to trust what that is then it should be something that that is experienced by those that you're engaging with. So yes, I think the visual elements are essential in communicating what that is and for recognising, you know, certain brands and to have that loyalty to maybe make uh, choices, decisions. But I think if that's not backed up by, you know, a, a, a structured offering, and that that therefore is also built into the fibre of the organisation, then I don't think those visual elements really achieve much on their own. So I do think it's very holistic. 
Yeah, it's a really good point. Alex, you're nodding. So what's what's your view? I'm assuming you're agreeing with Sabrina here. Yes, I'm, I'm nodding in agreement. Um, I've worked in the not-for-profit sector for the last 10 years. So that whole reputation piece that Sabrina was talking about is really key where you're in an area where you don't have a product per se and trust is everything. And therefore the substance of what your organisation stands for needs to be credible and expressed through everything that you're saying, doing behaving as um and I think it goes to the very heart of the organization um but it has to really live in people's minds at the same time brand is a really hard one to actually describe in some in ways that don't just sound completely abstract but yeah I think Sabrina was doing a good job yeah I I thought so too (laughs) so Steve when you're looking at the concept of brand I mean is there anything else that you could add or or just kind of concur with what um Sabrina and Alex were saying yeah, I think I I do agree with what Sabrina and Alex have said. I think, uh, ironically, there is a lot of uh, misunderstanding around the word brand. We haven't branded brand very well. <laughs> um, so I think, you know, sometimes we can get uh, het up and caught up in the nuances of what the difference is between brand and reputation. But I think actually just equating the two as equal is probably sensible. And I think ultimately it's everything a company does and says or doesn't do and say. Um, and it's how our audiences formulate opinions and views based on everything they've experienced and everything we have done and said or not done and said. Um, so it is that emotive gut reaction of individuals to a proposition, whether that's a company, a product, an individual, a place. Um, you know, that's how brands work. They're, they're emotive and they and they live in the the hearts and minds of the recipient. Uh, and it's our job as marketeers, I guess, to have a very clear articulation of our brand and to try to um, act and behave according to our our brand purpose and principles and, and values and personality and all those other things so that hopefully we create a fairly consistent perception among those recipients of who we are and what we do and why we might be suitable for them. Yeah. And and the one thing I'm getting from all three of you is that actually the responsibility of the brand and um, how that's portrayed externally, particularly, is actually the responsible responsibility for everybody in that organisation. It is employees. It's not just the marketing department and the visual identity people or the sales team. And, and obviously today we're really going to be focusing on the comms um, teams as well. But it, it just seems like if if we're all responsible for it, and those who are outside are endorsing it and advocating it, then it's that single identity. So we'll come on to that in a minute. But actually, it covers everything that the organisation is. And Steve, I wanted to ask just briefly, because you're the chair of the Super Brands Council, as you said, you're bringing together multiple disciplines like branding, advertising, marketing, product management and public relations. So what makes a super brand? Why have you guys got the Super Brand Council? How is that different to a brand? Um, well, I mean, essentially, Super Brands has been running f- since, what, 1995. The aim is simply to identify and celebrate the strongest brands in the country. So uh, they're no different in many respects to other brands. They're just hopefully uh, better. Um, but we look specifically at three qualities in that particular survey that we do for Super Brands, which is quality, reliability, and distinction. So are the, are the products and services um providing the suitable quality that the recipient expects. You know, can you trust that brand to deliver on its promises? So that's the reliability piece. If it says it's going to do something, does it do that? And then thirdly, distinctiveness. So um, does that brand stand out suitably from its rivals? So 
Um, you know, another way of looking at it at, at Gravity Global, we look at fame, admiration, and belief. But again, it's similar principles in some respects. So in terms of fame, it's not just is there awareness of the brand, but is it famous for something? Is it standing out for something? Is it, you know, set apart from its competitors? And is it admired for for something suitable and relevant? Uh, and, you know, do people believe in it ultimately? Do they want to purchase and engage with that brand and advocate that brand? So there's lots of different ways that you can look at uh, brand and brand success and brand qualities, but ultimately it is about um, delivering. It's not just about the aesthetics. It's not just about the marketing promise. It's not just about the, the comms that you wrap around the brand, as we've all said uh, already today, it's about everyone in that organization delivering from, you know, a receptionist to the, the delivery driver, you know, whatever it might be. Um, everyone has a role to build or potentially destroy our mm. brand equity. And as one of the most important assets of a company, it's essential that we protect that. Thank you. And I'm thinking about this protection and how it's been promoted, you know, how brand is kind of identified and been promoted for, for many years. I mean, it was largely the responsibility of the advertising and marketing departments for a while before people clocked on that actually HR should be brought in and, and, and everyone in terms of the full responsibility should be accepted and acknowledged. And how do you do that? But if we're thinking now with the shift in recent years to PR and comms playing an even bigger role, I wanted to ask you, Alex, have you seen this shift and how do you feel that PR and comms is now a bit more involved in helping that brand, as, as Steve said, the wraparound, being communicated to the outside audiences and also inside, I suppose. How do you see that shift has been and, and what do you think the role is today? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think there's a couple of things in terms of um, channels and the role of content now kind of bridging marketing and comms and PR. So you don't really have those distinct lines necessarily anymore between, oh, we've got a marketing campaign over here and a bit of press activity over here, which would have been oversimplifying it anyway um, for back then. But I think for me personally, I think um, during the pandemic was a really good example of when, you know, the the way that organisations were responding to that, you know, all the plans that you had were kind of out of the window and then all of a sudden you had to really pull together and have like one joined up kind of voice um, across the organisation, especially in the charity sector. I was working at Cancer Research UK at the time. So, you know, really championing um, what was happening in the world of cancer treatment. Um, so I think it just really accelerated the move that we were already kind of having internally and what it meant was that internally we then had to be so much more joined up um, in terms of what we were saying, where we were saying it. And I think that was a really good kind of, not a good situation, but it kind of formed a good springboard for better ways of working across the organisation moving forward. Mm. And, and Sabrina, in terms of looking at kind of employees and in, internally, how do we get those brand values to be embodied and 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 really part and parcel of the living, breathing entity that is a brand, which is basically the employees and the people that work with it and alongside it. Now, obviously, I mentioned I'm a media trainer, but the training that I deliver, I define actually as brand champion training. Anytime someone is on the outside, like Steve said, even if it's somebody who's working outside like a delivery driver, they're all championing the brand. They're supposed to be representing it and able to anybody who interacts with that organisation to get a really good feel of the brand, who it is, what it stands for. And, and people buy from people. 
So the people inside an organisation are super important, whether you're representing it in a journalist interview or on a podcast, or whether you're speaking to customers or just speaking to peers and colleagues, how people feel about that brand is actually more to do with people. So how do you get a team involved? How do you filter down what the brand identity is and should be to those who work with you? What, what, what's, how do you, yeah, just basically summarise your role for us to please bring there and help us understand what we should be doing. <laughs> I feel that this is a daily task for me, so that's why I'm <laughs> laughing. Um, employer brand, the little known sister. Um, well, interesting. So employer brand, put simply, is the reputation and the value proposition of an organisation as an employer or a place of work. So by default, any organization has an employer brand if you employ people. But typically you see high-performing organizations intentionally define, own, and manage the brand in the same way that they would a corporate brand. So therefore it becomes mutually reciprocal. Um, and also it can, you know, back to Steve's point, it can help in being a differentiator as well. So because employer brand humanizes an organization in that uh, the customer experience and the, if the customer experience and the employee experience are aligned, it builds that brand loyalty because of the organization's values, its purpose, et cetera, are experienced by all audiences. Therefore, it kind of becomes authentic. So employer brand is essentially like a management tool. It's the same as product brand uh, management. It was born in the 1990s. It's developed and managed in the same way. It is the same brand, but it's how do you articulate that for a different audience? So the purpose of it is, as you say, how do we break this down into ensuring that we're attracting or engaging the best possible talent so that they do become brand ambassadors because what we are offering our customers is also what they are experiencing. So those two experiences are aligned and therefore it feels authentic there's good engagement, there's good productivity, and it's authentic. So they will be able to communicate authentically about their experiences. And it's not necessarily curated by the organization because ideally it is, the, you know, the organization is living and breathing its own values, its own purpose. So it's intrinsically part of who they are and what they do. Um, but there is, to the same degree as that's sculpted and shaped and managed externally, you know, that does need a level of curation internally as well. So whether that be different initiatives that are in the organization, thinking strategically about what your proposition is, and there's are specific focuses that you might want to make. Again, how is that aligned to your brand, overall brand strategy? And as we're talking about, what's the role of communications in bringing that story to life? And it's very much about people kind of give you the so what sort of aspect when you talk about employer brand. It's like, I've got a job, I come in, I do my thing, you pay me, I leave. Um, but it's really important that we are repeating the value, repeating what we stand for, reinforcing the purpose um, so that, you know, they really are understanding, engaging with what that value is. And by default, then become your brand champions, talking about you to families, friends, spheres of influence, talking about you or sharing content on social media. Um, but I think making sure that that experience is defined and then it's really brought to life internally. Um, the important factor, I think, is to make sure that it's authentic so that then, you know, those brand champions will 
speak for you and, and communicate and push your brand out um, authentically. Yeah, it's a great thing. And Steve, when you guys are looking, sorry to keep coming back to the Super Brands Council, but I'm just wondering how does one quantify the, um, the, the, the power of employer branding? If you're going to be looking at a brand and saying this is a super brand and it stands out, obviously having those brand ambassadors, those brand champions able to walk the walk, not just talk the talk. Um, how, how, do you, how does one look at that as an, as an organization and say, actually, yes, this filters down throughout? Do you have some kind of mechanism there when you're looking at it? I think in relation to super brands, it's more about the overall outcome. So you would imagine that if the employees are not representing their brands well, and there is a big gap between kind of the espoused brand that the corporation is saying they are versus the reality of what people experience, that would impact how people perceive them and therefore how people vote in our survey. That said, there are tools, I strangely enough have another model um, called Pride, which is about purpose, reputation, integrity, delivery, and energy, which is a tool that exactly manage, uh, measures internal brand equity and also gap to uh, external brand perception. So there are ways to measure it, but I think um, Sabrina used the word authenticity, and I think that is so important because it's not about you know some consultant like myself um, creating a brand from the outside and applying it to the organization. It's about understanding what the organization is and laddering that up to an articulation of what the brand is about. So really, if it's been done well and the brand purpose, values, everything else has been created appropriately, then it is a representation of the reality of the company. So therefore, you should minimize that gap. It's then about, you know, maintaining that minimization, so to speak. Um, but I think, you know, internal brand is so critical, as Sabrina said, um, well, as everyone said, actually, you know, and I think having an authentic brand that is real and is not just a load of spin um, is hugely important. And as I said, if you've created your brand well, you've gone through a process of understanding the organization, the culture and the people and the proposition and what it represents in the market. And you've tried to articulate it in a distinctive way, but it's, you're not sort of creating something. Mm, yeah. Um, brand is more than just that external face trying to attract a customer any which way you can, you know, quickly say what somebody else is saying, because it seems to work for them. It's, it's actually more than that. And I, and I wonder, Alex, when you're looking at the comms role, obviously we have the employer branding and you, you know, you've obviously talked us through the importance, like with the example of, of going through COVID, but the importance of how everything gets brought together and we're really driving this forward. Who owns it? Is, is there, do you feel like it is actually time now because comms can sometimes be that connector between internal and an external and then bringing in other disciplines? I mean, is, is now the time for PR and comms to rise above and say, right, we'll own this and help bring everyone underneath? Or do you think it's still a marketing department responsibility? I mean, how do you get everybody to come together? I think, yeah, it has to be that joint ownership, not to swerve the, <laughs> the question completely. Um, but I think if you look at brand as reputation, reputation builds whether you do anything about it or not. And I think what brand does and having a, a well-developed foundation for your brand that everybody kind of brings from, then equips the organisation to kind of take the reins around what reputation they're trying to collectively build. And you can't look at that without comms and you can't think that comms doesn't have a massive role in that because 
that's the kind of voice of the organisation. Um, in the not-for-profit sector in particular, there's a big role for comms to play in terms of that public affairs and policy influence. So you've got your proactive comms activity where you might be supporting campaigns and you know you want to have a certain key message that you're landing, but you also want to be that go-to um, voice on a subject to be kind of mentioned in articles you know about your cause area and that kind of thing and that also really builds that credibility so and that would happen anyway so it's making sure that the comms um, teams and individuals understand what that brand foundation is understand what that personality of the organization is and are kind of representing that you kind of quite a few years ago I was um, you know kind of identified within internally one team had a tone of voice guide that said we're an, we're authoritative and another said we're warm and you know those two things don't unless with there's some kind of guardrails around that and you understand what that means in your context you kind of need one set of traits that really you're all trying to dial up and down depending on the circumstances so yeah I definitely as in my role as brand manager I see that my role is kind of listening as much as kind of telling so I I need the input from people in the comms department to understand what's going to help us build credibility and trust as much as I am you know kind of trying to shape the brand in the way that I might want it but that might not be what's going to build that right reputation or actually cut through credibly. Mm. And obviously we're talking quite a lot about involving people and having that feedback from people and understanding in terms of the written word, for example, how, how important tone might be to help represent the identity. But what happens when we're in the, the digital world and we want to make the most of social platforms and we're trying to promote a brand through those social platforms, is there a, a way that you are able to look at employer branding, for example, Sabrina, in the digital world where you're attracting kind of recruitment, you know, get, getting the right talent, but utilising digital and helping you to um, and using digital platforms to promote the brand in the right way. How, how does one do that when you've got when you're not just face to face with somebody or giving someone a good experience once they've been hired? Yeah, and it's actually quite a challenging thing to achieve because, in a certain sense, by default the content will be curated. So going back to that, you know, pillar of or the um, objective of authenticity. You, you want to be as authentic as possible. You want, um, if you're showing your employer brand or your internal working environment through the voice of your employees, that's a, an authentic way to doing that, especially digitally. But when it comes from the organization, there's still that perception of, well, it's curated and it's, you know, being aligned to messaging and, you know, it's, it's, challenging to also get that authenticity across because the mechanisms in which it's being uh, shared and created and communicated. Um, we, for example, leverage, I mean, from, from our employees' perspective, um, we we leverage sort of talent channels quite effectively um, or we look at third parties. So similar to what Alex was talking about in terms of maybe um, thought leadership or industry um, channels, to have our employees speaking freely without it being processed or curated sort of through the corporate part of the business. So we trust our employees to be going out and engaging with channels digitally, to be expressing their 
um, experiences, um, whether it be about the role they, they are doing and what they're doing within the industry or whether it be about their experience as an employee. So from that perspective of how do we actually get the, the uh, how do we communicate from the employer brand perspective digitally, then everything is via those channels. Um, but yeah, it always comes back to the challenge of the, the authenticity piece from our perspective. Mm. And the, the one thing with, well, and there are many things that are good about the digital world, but one, one thing that I've always appreciated is the ability to measure effectiveness of a campaign because that data is there when it's a digital platform. And is there, do you see that as some, a key contributor, um, Steve, when you're look, measuring the effectiveness of a brand campaign and you're trying to see how that brand is being understood, interpreted, kind of engaged with, is, is digital a really key component, do you think? For, for helping people, like I said, measure the effectiveness of a campaign? Or are there other ways that, that looking at brand and it being successful that we should consider as well? Um, I think, um, you know, digital definitely aids the ability to uh, monitor and track effectiveness. I think, again, you know, the uh, Fame Admiration Belief tool that we use at Gravity Global uses a range of digital tools to understand a brand's relative fame, admiration, and belief compared to its competitors. And we can do that through digital tools and digital listening and so forth. I think the the danger, however, is that we end up, um, not to go old school and talk about funnels, but we end up playing just at the bottom of the funnel and try and influence demand metrics because we can show conversion to mm. the FD and the wider senior leadership team. And then we forget about big brand building campaigns and therefore we don't create that distinctiveness because we're not thinking about sort of more bold hero brand campaigns that really set us apart. And we're just, you know, playing only in the weeds to create conversion that we can prove. So it's a double-edged sword. Yes, it aids in lots of ways. It enables us marketeers to prove our worth and to show impact. But at the same time, it distorts our focus somewhat and means that typically, or in a lot of cases, we've abandoned top of the funnel and and middle of the funnel, and we're just playing at the bottom of the funnel. So I think yeah, double-edged sword, but I think, uh, you know, so much of this comes down to whether we're talking about silos, whether we're talking about who owns the brand, it again, it comes down to a misunderstanding of brand. You know, if brand is everything the company does and says, then it should be owned by the CEO and then it should be jointly owned by everyone else in the organization. Um, and silos should not exist because everyone should be pulling in the same direction to create the same impact and deliver the same purpose. So, uh, again, digital can be a distraction because of that. And then we forget about the fact that, you know, all these other things we do from PR to advertising to, you know, saying hello when someone walks into our store or whatever the hell it might be, we forget about all those things and just start to think about social and digital because it's the new shiny mm. kid on the block. And, and the metrics not, are important. And, that's and the it. metrics are important. But, it, it, you know, it doesn't solve everything. It's, it's not the panacea for everything. And it's not the only way to build strong brands. In fact, it's probably not the way to build strong brands. 
I love the point about the hero brand campaigns, and I've seen some amazing examples of those over my <laughs> decades of working in the industry. And Alex, do you do you have the opportunity in the not-for-profit sector to be able to explore the brand campaign and those bigger pieces, like Steve says, that are the top of the funnel that enable everyone else to just the peak the interest, grab the attention, be a talking point to actually pull people in, and then they find out more about what's going on. Do you have that opportunity? It definitely depends on the size of the charity that you're working with. Um, Again, working at Cancer Research UK, we were in a position to do that and could demonstrate the value back to the organisation from doing that. Um, But yeah, the smaller the charity, the smaller the budgets and the less likely you're going to get signed off for um, a brand campaign that doesn't wash its face immediately, tangibly, um, with a report neatly um, presented back to the board. Um, But I think... There is that recognition of, um, again, regardless of how you can do it, um, I think all charities do understand that importance of brand. And I think a lot do actually then rely quite a lot on PR and comms because it doesn't have that big, you know, eye-watering budgets that, um, yeah, some of the really big hitters outside of the charity sector um, can afford. Um And I think it's a constant challenge. And I think another thing with the digital side of things is the targeting you can do is amazing, but it does mean that then the reach that you're likely to get then just narrows and becomes, you know, quite difficult to understand what what that translates to from a kind of like more national kind of brand awareness, opinion, um, distinctiveness point of view. Um, So... Yeah, I'm always advocating for it, uh, for that the, the big kind of brand stuff. And it just depends on where an organisation is on its journey um, as to how much appetite there is to do that. Brilliant. So Sabrina, I see you nodding there in terms of what Alex is saying. Uh, do you have anything else to add around the digital world? Um, well, we've just heard Alex and Steve talk about their perspectives on the digital piece and again, kind of bring it back down to the employer branding. And interestingly, they're... The, the budgets piece does play a big part, um, similarly as was Alex was referring to. And I think this is, again, where the corporate brand and then the employer brand are mutually, you know, representative and, and the employer brand very much relies on corporate brand activity in terms of supporting that brand building and that brand awareness because employer brand budgets tend to be on the smaller side. Therefore, your activity and the relevance of digital, back to Alex's point, is that you can be super targeted. So unfortunately, most of the time, your employer brand activity externally can be very focused on attracting talent. Therefore, it's very tactical and um, you are using the opportunity to build awareness, but within a very specific talent segment or an, an audience. So you're understanding exactly who you need to bring into the organization, who's a priority, and you're targeting them. So for all the reasons that Alex and Steve may um, feel that it can be um, a full friend in a certain sense, but for employer brand, it's actually really essential because it enables us to make the most of our budgets and actually get the message and engage the audiences that we specifically need and that can be a real priority. So it's more niche targeting and digital enables you to do that. In fact, you'll find few organisations that will be the big super brands who do have those big budgets that are able to do those large campaigns from an employer brand perspective, or they have such good brand recognition and recall that actually 
they naturally attract top talent. Whereas for the rest of us, um, the targeting of digital is is really essential. And it is also important for us to be able to uh, demonstrate the ROI of activity in gaining more budget, increasing the scope of what we're doing year on year. So it's a good way when there's maybe not a lot of understanding of the value of employer brand that can be more holistic um, or the fact that, you know, you are still representing the organization externally, being able to uh, show that report and show the results and the impact of your activity actually helps in gaining that engagement internally as well. So actually for us, it's quite relevant. Stephen, I know you want to ask something there. No, all I, all I was going to add, Sabrina, is um, I think everything you've said is is absolutely spot on. But I think the one misconception, I think, and it's not amongst our group, it's in general, again, in the industry, is that when I say talk about big brand campaigns, I think advertising um, and lots of spend. And I don't think that's necessarily the case. I think when I talk about sort of brand marketing, I just mean thinking about the brand rather than just thinking about the product and the tangible advantages of that product. So even just to give you a very simple illustration, you know, if if I look at a given category for, for super brands or for any other research project and I look at the About Us page, once I've read about four or five of them, I literally cannot tell you what the difference is between each of the companies. I could just scramble their logos up and it would make no difference. Um, so even just from how they write their copy on their website, the reality is that most brands tend to fall into the trap of talking around category norms, talking about tangible advantages, talking about things that are not actually truly distinctive. Um, and I think that's an issue. And I think if you've got a strong brand, it doesn't mean you have to spend more. In fact, it means you have to spend less. Because if you are coming with a different message, with a different appeal and a different look and feel, and you're saying something different from your competitor set, it's going to be more memorable. It's going to create more mental market share. It's going to do all of those positive things. So it doesn't, you know, creating a strong brand or doing brand marketing doesn't always mean spending a ridiculous amount of money and doing advertising. In fact, I would say PR um, and all of those other um, disciplines are as important, if not more important, uh, and advertising is just the, you know, the nice shouty, uh, big visibility, big reach piece, but it's not, it's not always essential. It is about understanding how you're distinctive and coming to the market in whatever you do in a distinctive standout way. Alex, you must have some view on that, what Steve just said. I've just got a question, I think, just um, with what you were saying before about, um, you know, playing at the bottom of the funnel then. if Are you are you actually saying that there's more of a risk um, that you stop selling the brand at the same time as trying to drive that digital conversion if that is selling a product, for example, if you're being, is that what you're meaning, that you put that over that brand building opportunity? Well, I guess if if you're sort of super hyper-targeted and you are trying to create conversion, then I guess the point is you're probably talking to an audience that already knows you or as an audience that you've identified, but then you're missing out on all those other potential audiences that you're bringing in at the top of the funnel is the point. Um, so I think if if you're only playing at the bottom of the funnel, and again, it's not a linear, simple journey, but let's just keep using those terms because we all kind of understand them. Um, 
I just think there there is a danger there. Whereas if you balance sort of brand marketing and demand gen, then you create a halo effect and a stronger emotional competitive advantage so that when you do your demand gen, it's going to probably have a better conversion. It's going to have a better impact. And again, your marketing budget is going to be more effective. So I just always think that a balance between demand and brand, however that is done, again, not necessarily meaning big advertising campaigns, but a balance between raising your brand uh, profile and making sure that you are talking about your brand in a standout way versus here's our product proposition or indeed here's our charity proposition. This is why you should support it. Um, they are two different things um, and you need to get a balance between those uh, for long-term sustainable advantage and to drive a disproportionate share of attention, which will grow your market share. Super interesting. I'm learning so much. I'm going to actually now ask all three of you to put your future gazing lens up to your eyes and uh, wow us, (laughs) no pressure, with what you think the future of branding is going to be either on a really grand level or specifically in your discipline or in the area that you prioritise at this point. So I'm going to start with you, Alex, if that's okay. Oh gosh, Um, it's a really hard question. Um, And I think it I'm finding it quite difficult at the moment um, just because the world is quite changeable. It used to be that you'd have these kind of trend forecasts and then you'd kind of feel quite confident that they would be, you know, what would come true. And I think at the moment with AI, I don't know, I feel like there's just something there that I'm, I don't know what that means for the future, but I think there's something when we're talking about authenticity and credibility being like such a key thing for brands. I'm very curious as to what implications AI might have for the way that we design or talk or are copied in with our brands. That's a really interesting point. It's a good point because it is. I mean, I'm seeing the stealth, or not even stealth of AI, that's just constantly coming up day after day and showing us different ways of, of working. And there is a concern. I have a concern that that there, there will become an element of laziness where people will just hand over a huge chunk of communications or kind of brand perception to, to some level of AI just to look after it because it's easier. And maybe they're self-doubting themselves and their capability and would rather give it to something else that seems to know what it's talking about. But how AI knows what it's talking about more than we do as individuals looking after an organisation, I, I don't know. And Sabrina, what's your future gazing kind of view? Um, I suppose from my perspective, um, I'm starting to see definitely the understanding within an organization of the holistic look at audiences. So that holistic brand, the holistic experience, the authentic experience. And by that, internally, understanding and looking at both together you know, looking at the employee experience and the customer's experience, looking at the alignment of the brand across all of the audiences and working collectively together. So I'm seeing that become more and more, whereas the space that I operate in, not being sort of a smaller team or a smaller consideration of the overall strategy, but actually really seeing the strategic importance of talking to, talking about the organisation or demonstrating the brand in a different um, outlet and hopefully one that can humanize the brand and can show that authenticity because it will demonstrate how it lives and breathes 
um, its values and, and its purpose. So I'm starting to see it more in organizations. I see roles where um, employer brand or employee experience sits in a customer experience team as well. So um, I'm hoping that that kind of integrated approach and looking at things holistically is something that continues. And I think an organ brands will gain massively from it. And going back to the point of it was also another way of helping that differentiation in a world where increasingly that's very difficult to do. How do you actually distinguish yourself when there is also a need to be demonstrating your purpose in very altruistic ways? So I think, you know, it's obviously matching where the world is going and, and you know, demonstrating that you're caring about the environment and citizenship, et cetera. So I do think bringing all aspects of brand together and focusing on it holistically will definitely benefit. So I'm looking forward to seeing how that materialises. Definitely. A huge opportunity for differentiation, definitely. And Steve, what's your view? Uh, well, I'd, firstly, I'd echo Sabrina's thought in that uh, I'm hopeful and I'm starting to see the role of employer brand uh, elevate and the gap between those two the external and internal experience shrink. So I think hopefully that will continue. I think uh, beyond that, um, yes, the role of AI, as Alex mentioned, will be massive. I think channels will evolve, new shiny toys will come along. But what I mainly hope is that what we've been talking about, which is brand as a holistic, um, you know, reputation and it being seen as being vitally important at the C-suite level and being understood and owned by the CEO, I'm, I'm hoping that will continue to evolve and we will continue to see um, the importance of brand and brand being delivered well uh, in more organizations because, quite frankly, I think the, you know, often the current level of quality of brands in certain sectors is pretty poor, um, particularly outside of the obvious sort of consumer categories where brand has always been seen as important. Beyond that, I think we need to create stronger, better brands. Um, and that requires the senior leadership teams to understand what the hell they are why they're important and how they add value to the business. So that is what I'm, I'm hoping the future will look like. Uh, what it does look like uh, is everyone's guess. <laughs> I sincerely could keep talking about this topic for, so, for, so, for hours because every time you guys say something, I have about 10 questions in my mind. That I'm like, oh, what do you think of this? And where would we go with that? And it, it proves the point that actually brand, you just can't look at it on a superficial two-dimensional level. This is such a big piece when it comes to the comms department responsibility and and obviously having this employer branding sitting in the customer experience and and everyone else's table. Sorry, Sabrina, if I hope I've got that the, the right way that you'd said it. Um, and, and Steve, I, I don't envy your job <laughs> in terms of looking at these brands and being able to unpick things and help them move forward. But it must be so exciting. It must be so exciting seeing these brands live and breathe and get bigger and better. Um, I'm going to leave it there. Some great thoughts there in terms of future gazing. Thank you so much for your time, Steve, Sabrina and Alex. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for tuning in to the latest episode of Engage. If you're a member of the CIPR, 
you can also log five CPD points for listening to this episode. And don't forget, the conversation doesn't have to end here. Share your thoughts on Twitter and LinkedIn using the hashtag engage.